1: What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome Guys. There was no UFC over the weekend, but it doesn't mean old Uncle Chael doesn't have a lot to discuss on today's show. Coming up. Israel Adesanya and Alex Piera ran into each other at an airport of all places. Plus, the ultimate fighter, it's going to return tonight. And I'm going to tell you guys what I think Nate Diaz is going to do after he boxes with Jake Paul. All of that and more is coming up on today's show. But I want to begin with one of the funniest things I have seen since Marab stole Sugar coat. Israel Adesanya, guys, we have never had somebody like this. And we may never have him again. Israel Adesanya is such a meaningful character to the sport of MMA. He's a guy who is bigger than life. He's from a distant land. New Zealand training by way of Australia or something along these lines, but he gets his druthers and... North America, while well, oh, always representing Africa, it's a very interesting guy. He's bigger than life. He comes out, he looks cooler than we look. He's got more jewelry on than we got. He can move in ways. He's got friends, he's got money, he's got success, he's got the words. But he stays a man of the people. How? It doesn't work that way. You can sell a lot of tickets and you can be a big star, but you, when you're bigger than life, you are not equal, right? When you're when they're opening up doors of limousines so you can get out and there's crowds and there's flashing pictures, you are now not one of the people, ever. Doesn't work that way. Don't even want to be not part of your marketing. He is, how did he do that? And it really is something to watch Izzy make a couple million dollars in a sold out pay-per-view stopping or defeating Robert Whittaker the second time Lining up his next job before he leaves, and seconds later, he took his belt that was a lifetime of hard work off his waist, and he put it on Boogerbeard. Do you guys know Boogerbeard? Beard? It happens to be a friend of mine. That's his social media name, though. Under Twitter, if you want to go find him. He's a regular guy. I believe he's a landscaper. It's a regular guy that is a very devout fan. He's a devout Izzy Adesanya fan. And he worked extra hours and he busted his ass and he saved up some money and he went out to, I, I think it was Atlanta. Those guys fought. I was there, but now I can't. I think it was Atlanta. Ends up in the front row and tickets that you can't buy. So I think Adasanya even gave him the ticket, however, they found each other, right? I mean, this is a guy from the state of Washington, which is one state to my north. Adesanya is famous in North America. He represents Africa. He trains in New Zealand. Lives in Australia. You know, I, mean, I I might be getting those wrong, but you you understand? I mean, this is this guy. He's representing the world, and he went and got a ticket for Boogerbeard? and then did it just do that to appease him or hope that he got some? He walks out and he puts the the belt on. How's he? He's a man of the people. How? It's just never been done before. Then you have a guy like Adesanya that knows. I understand it's a grudge, guys, but there has to be an honor to a grudge. There really does. And it can be self-serving. If you've got a grudge for the audience to enjoy, you must follow the rules of said grudge, which is particularly, it doesn't end. Great grudges till death. They will never get it right. I watched one that really upset me. It was Mike Tyson and Lennox Lewis. And the only reason it upset me is all of the things that went into it, including a commission hearing where Tyson was sworn in and under oath, and he took it all back, took it all back. It was all a lie right there in front of the world. Said, I love this man. That was just for promotion. He should have given us our money back. That is now Fraud. This fight did not sell, nor did you even try to sell it based on left and right hands. It was completely about a grudge that you're now telling us didn't exist. I mean, I'll just share for you. I really, I really thought that was an underhanded thing to do. It was meant out of sportsmanship, man. Mike was just trying to bear the hatchet. I, I do get that. Mike was just trying to be a sport and say, hey, man, we came in. We agreed on this. It was a fair adjudication, and you got me. You got me. All the stuff I said, man, this is my... My way of apologizing, but I also, you know, I I paid the price. That's what Mike was trying to do. I'm taking it in a little bit different interpretation. And I do know that, but I use it to prove a point, which is, why do guys do that? I don't like it. I don't understand it. And usually it's because they can't take the heat. You went out and did something to bring some level of interest to a fight, and you couldn't take the heat. You barely even got to the ring to do it the first time. You wanted to let the audience know that you got an elbow and a wink. You just couldn't take the booze. So the first chance that you have under the guise of sportsmanship, you try to stop those booze by letting people in. I I ain't going to do it again. And if that's the business you're in and that's how you make a living, how are you going to do it again? You get many smart people, not as smart as me, but you get very, very many smart people that come out and they'll tell you the key to business. Well, the key to business, and they'll tell you something, and they, and they really do believe it. And I might not go that far, but I will tell you one of the keys to business is to find something you can do where your profits exceed your expenditures that you can duplicate and do it again, and then you can duplicate and do it again. Right? The Oreo cookie with recipe was invented in 1929. They've never changed the recipe. 1939, excuse me. 1939, they have never changed the recipe, but they found something that they could duplicate and then they just did it again. It's a great example. And I I bring that to you because if you've got a grudge and this is what you've sold, you look around and it worked pretty good. How are you going to do it again if you tell the market, your audience, that it was a lie? So that's where the self-serving side comes from. Israel Adesanya knows how to have a grudge, which represents an honesty, which represents a sincerity to the consumer, and it's why he can be riding around in first class and still be a man of the people. And it is a fascinating and simple concept. And you could never call him a bully. You could call him a jerk. You could call him a jerk if you wanted to. He insulted a child on worldwide television. And then was given an opportunity by John Morgan in the back to apologize, of which he did not. He referred to himself as petty. But he said that the kid hurt his feelings six years before. And he's waited six years to give that kid a receipt. And that was interesting. Now, you think, well, that's a jerk. That's a bully. He wouldn't pick on a kid. That's what you might think, right? But he'll do the same stuff to that kid's dad who happens to be amongst the baddest men in the world. So, you know, you're not a bully if you treat everybody the same. You, you might be a jerk, or as he put it himself, petty. But you still remain a man of the people. Do you know what this whole thing is predicated on? This whole thing is predicated on the idea that Sonya who struck out, struck out, struck out, and then finally hit gold, has rubbed it in, not backed down, done everything to lead us to believe he will go in there a fifth time against Piera. They have not buried a hatchet. It is not done if you don't want it to be done. It can be done. I've heard that you've moved on. It can be done, but it didn't have to be done. Don't think I'm the one that's saying this. I'm not blinking. It's the way that you do a grudge. It's the way that you build trust with the audience it's the way when adesanya who does whatever he's going to do next and for the first time in his career we don't know there has never been a night where israel adesanya has left work and not set up a job for himself in the future and he tried he tried to do it that night he went after duplisi. something happened something happened but I'm, I'm just sharing for you whatever that is down the road there's going to be a grudge and we need to know that he's sincere look over the weekend he's at the airport while he's in line. He's in the security line. He holds up his camera. He's making a video. Piera's behind him. And Pierre sees the camera. He knows exactly what's happening. He knows this is going to end up on social media. And Pierre, you know, kind of plays to the crowd and holds a fist up. It was just one of these great moments. It was one of these simple moments. But there's been six, seven, eight, nine of these things since they got out of the ring. And the general belief when they got out is Adesanya got away with one. It was a general belief. He's won one he lost three, but this one appears to have made the other three go away, which sometimes in sport can go that way. In addition to that, this one that Adesanya won, he, he was losing the entire fight. And that wasn't true in the previous three. He was winning the previous three. Goes out there, he's getting, he's getting whipped for the first time, ends up stopping. I mean, it's just one of these things where you go, okay, hey, Izzy he got away with one. He'll stay away from Pierre. He'll never go back to that. And he did anything but. He promptly teased his son. He promptly went in the back and said that he teased the son. As recently as yesterday, he's making videos on social. He's buried nothing. That's a very different reaction than Mike Tyson wanting it smooth right now. Right now. I didn't mean any of it. Let me take it all back. That's very different. It's going to be hard for Mike to get above the ground and sell out another arena, which, by the way, I don't believe he ever did. It's very different. You got one guy trying to stuff his coffers by fooling the audience. So it's okay, it happens all the time. It happens all of the time, but you have another guy who is part of it, who has built a trust, who has an honesty, who has kept a consistency. In his own words, was even a little bit petty, but all the while he had a sincerity. Next time he has something to sell, next time he has something to say, next time he has a message to get across, the people will believe him. Francis was doing some media. He was over on Dan Levitard. Now, I single-handedly got him on Levitard and nobody's thanked me for getting him on Levitard. That's weird. Like, there's been a few weird things that have gone over there in, in terms of press releases and statements made and ideas that germinate with me. And when they came to fruition, you hear the story, but it doesn't involve yours truly. That's a little bit weird. But when I did go listen to Francis, boy, I heard him talking about Tyson Fury. I heard him talking about he wasn't paid enough. I heard him talking about wanting to go do some boxing. I heard him say that he was signed with the PFL. I was listening to hear who his opponent was going to be in the PFL. I was listening to hear, is he going to be part of the tournament within the PFL? I was listening to hear between Q1, 2, 3, or 4, does he plan to debut in the PFL? I was planning on hearing... A list of likely suspects, possibly even a tournament that's going to play out in 2023. And the winner will be drawn into him for 24. A lot of different things. I don't know. It's not my job to know. It's just my job to listen. And I come back and I tell you guys what he said. But he didn't talk about any of them. As a matter of fact, Francis Ngano used 90% of his interview to talk badly about the UFC. He used 9% of his interview to talk about the fact that he would like to go and box, but has no opponent and no promoter looking at him and no date in mind or no official trainer and sparring partners lined up. And he used 1% of it to mention that, oh, and by the way, for $2 million, I'm currently a product of the PFL. And I'm not begging on him. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, maybe it's because I personalize this. I took a gal out. Let me leave her name out of it. I wasn't the big Don Juan. I wasn't great at walking up to a girl and getting her number and taking them out on dates. It just wasn't really my thing. I spent my nights in the practice room. But I took this gal out, and she had recently come onto the market. And we went to a great place. It was called the Roadhouse. Roadhouse that ended up getting bought out down in Eugene by Outback. But we went when it was still Roadhouse. You still take your nuts. You throw them right onto the floor. And she talked about the guy the entire time. She explained to me why, though. She explained to me why she's so glad she's not dating him. She explained to me everything that went wrong. She also explained to me that was the first date that she ever had. That they shared their first dance in seventh grade, and they went through high school, and they went to both proms, and now here we are at 22, and we got through college, even though it was separate colleges, and here's what he did, and here's and I sure am glad that he's gone. And I paid the bill, and I took her home. And she thought we were going to go out dancing, but I took her home. And she said, why, why are we home? And I said, I really enjoyed you. She said, thank you. I enjoy you. I said, but I need you to do one thing. I need you to go inside. I need you to call that guy back. You don't have to lie about where you were tonight. Tell him you went on a date. You can tell him it was me with me. Don't hide anything, but call him back because you're not over him yet. Nothing she had said was good, but I knew she wasn't over him yet. And she got it. And I saw the twinkle in her eye as she disagreed, got out, shut the door and walked herself inside. Okay. 16 years later, I met their 14 year old daughter. So it's just one of those situations where when somebody keeps telling you they hate it, it's a thing of interest. And I've shared with you guys many, many times hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. If you get asked about something and you are indifferent, you do not care. Left, right, go, stop, forward, back. You simply don't care. You now no longer love that thing. And I watched this entire Levitard interview, which I entirely set up. And I don't have the foggiest idea of a plan or a direction. I don't know the sport that we were building it would seem as though boxing would be the one we would be leaning towards, but we don't have a boxing match lined up. And The bad news with that is there was not a boxing promoter that lined you up with Levitard. That was done by the PFL, so you kind of owe them to talk about but you don't have a date, you don't have an opponent, you don't really have anything except for the UFC paid me a bunch of money, made me famous, got me great opportunities, and I decided it wasn't enough. Okay. I got it. been On the tip of my tongue. And th- there seems to be a changing in the persona. And I don't think it's on purpose or it's calculated. I don't think so. Right? If, if you if you take a guy in the image business, we're in the image business here. Right? You got images that sell. That's what does the business. I understand the sport is the punches and the kicks. I didn't say the sport, I said the business. We're in the image business. You take a guy and you turn what his image is, you've now changed that, to whatever degree. And Vince McMahon will call it a character. When Vince McMahon created the Ultimate Warrior and the face paint and the tassels and the long hair, Jim Helwig, who played the Ultimate Warrior, tried to take that with him in life. He tried to go to other organizations and be the warrior. Vince said, that's a character that I created and trademarked, I own the character, you can't do it. You can't take the taste tassels. You can't take the face paint. You can't have my walkout music. You just can't. I own it. And it was a value. Jim sued him. Jim wanted it. Jim didn't draw flies. Jim never sold out anything. Warrior did. Lots of things. Do you see the difference? Now, I hope you do. It. Well, it seems like a simple concept. Most don't, including John Jones. I'm talking about John right now, who's doing this. He has no idea what I'm saying. He literally, this is going right, Pat. He has no idea what's coming out of Chael's mouth. But it's very relevant. And Vince McMahon, who is the master of this, has said publicly that that appearance needs tweaked about every 14 months. And it can be very light. Chris Jericho, one of my favorite entertainers. But Chris Jericho hit that 14-month point. Didn't know what to do. He just knew the rule. He's like, I gotta change something. He threw a scarf on. I mean, it was as simple as that, guys. He put on a scarf and threw it over his shoulder and it worked. They sold all sorts of scarves and people were doing that. Became a part of his gimmick, man. If Jericho walked the ramp and didn't have the scarf on, you'd be disappointed. Simple as that was. He tweaked it, right? Paul Hogan to boot to the face, the big leg drop, maybe a slam every now and again ripping the shirt off and showing the pythons, but he had to go from a yellow shirt to a black shirt for a period of time. It it was a small tweak, but it had to be done. I'm just bringing this to your attention. Vince McMahon went down on one thing you don't want your name associated with, which is sexual charges. He went down in flames in his personal life, in his financial life, in his bit, every, it was bad. It was really bad. And one year later, he came back. But he came back with a different hairdo and a pencil-thin mustache. And his message to the world included a multi-billion dollar board of directors, and they went for it. All of you went for it. His message to the world is that, He's pointing to himself from a year ago. That guy did terrible things and he's been thrown out of the company. But I am somebody else. That was his message to a company that just had a valuation of $9 billion and it worked. It worked. He is somebody else. That person with the new hair and the pencil thin mustache is not the person in a simple Google search will tell you that. That is not the person that they ousted 12 months ago. And it's a fascinating thing in the world of psychology, which is what wrestling is, right? Told you the fight business is about images. The wrestling business is about psychology. The business, that's what brings in the money. It's a very interesting concept because John Jones now looks different. He didn't mean to. See, he wasn't Vince McMahon that came in with a new stylist and the the pencil-thin mustache because he heard a Jimmy Buffett song from the '80s. That's not what happened. He just got lazy and didn't shave as often. He lifted some weights and drank some protein and moved up forty pounds, which he told us he was going to do. He got two, three years older, which would change anybody. He just looks different. He looks different, but I see, guys, I'm accepting him as different. I'm viewing him as different. I'm aware of these things. I'm aware of these things, and he's not even trying to do them like, say, Ben's. But they're happening. And I'm giving John this whole nother chance. I don't want to do that. I'm resisting, but it's happening. His interviews are different. His gyms are different, right? Life is very different for John. He, he got thrown out of his home gym in Albu- Albuquerque with Jackson. Wink. It's Coach, Coach Wink that booted him. He's still with you. However, that ended up working out. But he's at different gyms. He's with different people. I saw him with Maurice Green the other day. I saw him with Walt Harris a month or so before that. I saw him at Henry Cejudo's gym in Arizona a year and a half before that. I'm seeing him in different environments. I'm seeing him looking different. I'm seeing him sounding different. He's getting more aggressive. That he's very upset that he didn't get that Francis fight, which I love. I love, I love to hear that side of John. He's competing, and he's with a new field, and he's looking around. He's waiting for somebody to challenge him. And it's one of the really big problems he's got. The only guy that said his name is Stipe. I mean, he kind of has to go after Stipe. I get that that's the guy with the draw, and I I, I get all the reasons why he would need Stipe, but he also kind of has to do him. And Sergei hadn't said his name. Tom Aspinall said his name, but, you know, Tom, Tom dealt with the injury. And when he said it, he was very respectful. It wasn't a challenge. I'm just, I'm just using for an example. It puts John in a tough spot. Like, when you call John out, there's a real angry guy inside there. There's an angry guy that Colby Covington told you back in college is to throw people through windows, right? I'm like, there's an angry guy in there, but you got you to wake him up. He's really interesting once he's woken up. The way he's come after Francis Sangano, who he can't even fight with, but he's pissed at him. He's angry now. Just because you're scared of Francis doesn't mean John is, and he's starting to show you that. It's just interesting. I'm just pointing that out. And I was asked what John's greatest body of work was. Right after I was asked that, I was told that it was his last fight. Now, that could be true. John's fight with Rashad was Good john's victory over shogun protect dipping and going to the body i'm coming you got a college wrestler going to a body and putting down world champion striker is mean, really interesting match and you look at the surreal fight you look at the most dominant round the most dominant fight in heavyweight championship history it's hard to say those weren't his best. You know what? It wasn't my answer, though. Those are good ones, by the way. It wasn't my answer. If you want to find out what you're dealing with, if you want to really look at the enemy, there's a video out there online. Find it on YouTube. John Jones, champion of the world at the time, 205 pounds. John Jones is doing a signing at a grappling event. He's there, and he says this huge event is going on. And there's a grappling tournament going on with the event. That might be a better way to word it. But John is in his own business. He's signing autographs. I mean, he'd been drinking the night before. It was clear. He, This is not this is not anything more than I'm John Jones, and you guys, somebody paid me some money, and here I am. Let me get your autographs, put my time in, and get out of here. A guy walked up and challenged him. Now, this guy that walked up and challenged him isn't going to be as uh, intimidating as, say, a Rampage Jackson or a Chael Sonnen or a Liotta Machida that John had been in there with. Now, I I understand that. But the guy was a brown belt. He was skilled. This was his area of expertise. And far and away above everything else is he knew it was going to happen. He knew John Jones was going to be there. He knew that if he could find the courage, he was going to walk up and challenge him. He warmed up. He cut weight, I would assume. He certainly trained. He was ready for a match. John Jones was not, and John Jones accepted. Walked onto the mat with a brown belt and played with him like he was a child. Smiled. Let the guy go for things before pulling out and passing. There, come here. Hey, son. My son's on a head. Come here, come here, quick, real quick, real quick, please. Son's on a headphone. You wonder why I'm snapping at my boy over here. Hey, I need you quickly, son? So, if Theron and I are going to wrestle, this is how it's going to come out. Let's wrestle. Let's wrestle a little bit. Oh, did you see me come out the back? Did you see me come out the back? Huh? But you saw me let him pull my head down. You saw me let him get close. You saw me hand fight, right? My little boy. Thank you, son. Thank you, son. I'm trying, trying to prove a point. That's how that looks, right? That's what John did. Hung over without warming up. Against a brand belt, I believe under Eddie Bravo. And when it was done, the gentleman did not feel as though he had been clowned or he had been condescended to or he'd been played with. Like I'm doing my coming out the back door, hitting this beautiful duck under after I let him pull me down. He didn't feel like that. He felt honored. It looked as though the brown belt expected that to happen. It was a really interesting thing, but it's an interesting look into John. And it's just not something any other champion could do. Anyway, either gender, I don't believe if they showed up hungover to a grappling event and had somebody walk up to them who had that look in their eye who they didn't know. They don't know if that's the Abu Dhabi chip. Fighters don't fall. That guy could win two Abu Dhabis. We we wouldn't have the foggiest idea. Abu Dhabi guy could walk in here right now and smack me. I want to know who he is. Fighter has no idea. There's nobody that has a belt right now, either any division, either gender, that if they got walked up to by someone they didn't know and offered a bout sheet to walk onto a mat right now in front of the world for nothing, we got some tough boys and girls, not one of them would have taken that challenge. John Jones walked out there, half cocked from the night before, and played with him. And when people ask me what John's greatest performance was, it could be a stretch. I might not win that argument. But that's the example that I give. Okay. I mean, this in many ways is the une- unexpected fight of the summer. I didn't think these guys would be fighting this summer, did you? And by the way, Aljo getting put in the top spot. And this was a detail that John Anik had brought to us the Friday before Aljo's last fight. So weigh-ins were completed. We're in the process of, as John says, one more sleep. At that moment, in the 11th hour, John Anik, prepping for the show, came across a stat that he tweeted out to the world, which is being champion, being multiple-time champion, or at least defending his belt, for his first time ever as a main event. I didn't know that. Might sound like a simple detail. Not. Not a simple detail. I don't know that the sport has somebody more decorated than Valentin Shevchenko. She has never been a main event. Just to put in perspective... Not to, not to tease, to put in perspective for you. Like, it's not always about how good you are. There's something else that goes into that formula. So you have Aljo that's going to be his first main event, and he was. Ends up taking on Cejudo. It's great. the Back and forth at the end of it. It's real organic. It's on the East Coast. That night, Dana announces he's taking Aljo to Boston. Arguably Dana's most coveted event. Arguably. Certainly one of them. And this is the guy he's bringing. This is the guy he's bringing to headline. Dana White, so you understand how big Boston is to Dana. Dana White took Conor McGregor to Boston and put him fifth from the top. That's the kind of cards Dana takes to Boston, just so you understand. And he took Aljo. That tells me Aljo's a star. That's all I'm offering for you. It must be. I don't know how else to explain it. I I don't know how else he would be taken in there. And I know O'Malley is. I know O'Malley's over. So I think that's encouraging. And I think that's really exciting. Now, how do you beat Aljo? Because the first thing you have to do is you have to understand the psychology and the approach. And there has been nights where Aljo has gotten out of his lane He's got him out of where he is comfortable and the performance has paid. And the reason I tell you that is because if you're the opponent, in this case, Sean, and you are observing that, what is it that you're seeing? And one thing that Aljo will always do when he's at his best is make himself the victim. It was too short a notice, the company's against him, he's not being paid enough money. Mm-hmm. They kept him up too late. His hotel room's too small. I'm making things up now, but I'm, I'm attempting to prove a point that, that is, that's what he'll do and he's already started it. I've got my two arms are hurt and I, got, I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to do this. This guy's going to be the favorite. And, you know They want him to win. He's coming in to take my belt away. And that's what the quick turnaround's for. So I don't have a training camp. He's already started. He's not mad. He's not tripping. He's, he's playing the game. So I'm just saying, once you see that, you establish it. How do you stop it? It'd be the first thing you have to do. The very first thing you have to do before you send him a pizza the night before and make him miss weight on the scale, I mean, there's all sorts of games that are being played. The first thing you have to do is take that ability away. And to, but to do that, you gotta make him the favorite, you gotta make him the draw, you gotta make him the A side. And that is counter and opposite to everything Sean O'Malley knows. If Sean O'Malley agrees with me, if he sees what I see, and he realizes He would have a strategic advantage to publicly putting Aljo over. He's the star. He's the best. He's number one. If he did that just to play a head game with Aljo, and believe me, it would. Aljo does not want that. If that got said, Aljo doesn't want it to the point that he will come out and he will argue against it. No, I'm not. I'm not not that good. I'm not paid that much money. He doesn't want it. I mean, I'm really trying to stress that point for you. I don't know if Sean could do it and that's not what he does Sean's a star Sean's a draw Sean's the highest paid Sean's the main eventer Sean's the attraction Sean's the one the crowd wants I don't know if within Sean he could make that switch and it's just interesting it's a really interesting concept as these guys are playing the head game these guys aren't on Twitter to sell you tickets these guys aren't t- attacking each other on social media and making videos and coming at one another and getting their teammates involved and stealing jackets. They're, they're not doing this to, to up pay-per-view sales. Some guys would. The, I'm telling you, they're not. That's not a game Aljo's ever played, and that's not a participation that Sean's current contract uh, brings him in on. I'm just sharing. That's not what's happening. They're doing this against each other. They're, they're going after each other. They're trying to get over on each other. They're trying to mess with each other. Sean finds out Aljo doesn't want the date. That's the date they're going to do. Aljo tries to t- change the date. Sean's going, man, I already saw, you already said that you don't want this date. Why would I give you this date? I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you don't want. We're going this date. Where, I mean, they're playing this game with each other. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And you guys know, do you know Sean's coach, Tim? Because uh, Tim and I are, and then there's something. And I don't know what the word is. Tim and I are training partners. Tim and I are teammates. Tim and I are like I don't. It, it's something. It's something, which makes Sean and I something. If Tim is now trained, do you see how this works? And Tim is a very interesting guy. Tim Welsh is his name. <clears throat> Tim used to live in Montana, and he had a Jeep. I'm trying to think. If it was a if it was a a, a a Wrangler or a Cherokee. I think it was a Jeep Cherokee. It's all dirty and brown. It was brown from the dust. I don't even know what color this thing was. Man, he used to take this thing across country. Had four seats in it. He had four guys in it. Their stinky bags go in the back. And they drive up that interstate looking for people to train with. And he came through Portland a number of times. But Tim was different. He, he had a knowledge and an understanding of the sport where he was there to get workouts. He was there because he had his own dreams, and he's going to bring down Saint Pierre, and he's going to be—he had—he had these dreams, but it was one of these things where it was different. Like, I don't—not sure that's what—I'm not sure that's what your calling is. He was good at—he was really good at fighting. I'm not sure that's what his calling was. His philosophies, his understanding, his ability to teach—he could look at an athlete. And then he could decide the, the best way to deal with that athlete. And then he'd have a live round and you could see it. He'd be able, he was sitting back and going, that was an interesting strategy. I don't usually see guys doing that in practice. Why did you elect to do that? We'd ask him these questions and, and he just, he, he, he was on a deeper level than the rest of us. As far as his understanding, but he didn't see himself that way at that time. And now he does. And it's a really interesting spot. Tim should Sean win. I believe, I believe, will be the youngest trainer of a world champion in our sport. And I think that distinction originally went to Faras, but it went to Frost 15 years ago. I, I believe if Tim gets Sean to the world championship, Tim will be the youngest trainer with a world champion in MMA. I don't know if it's the history of MMA, because Feroz was young. But it's a really interesting claim. It's a, it's, it's a very interesting position. It's an interesting position for me. I, mean, I, I was one of the guys who, behind Tim's back, in, I, I, we wanted him over there. We wanted, he needed to be training guys. But it was, it was, it was a conversation you couldn't really have. Because that could be misunderstood for your goals in this sport aren't going to work out. That that was not true. He was really good at the sport. But I'd seen it before. Uh, rest his soul. Robert Fallis, one of the great coaches ever from MMA. Right, I talk about Tim, uh, one win away from having his first world champion. Robert had like six. Robert had like six world champions in all sorts of different weight classes. Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, Evan Tanner. I mean, these are coming to mind. Matt Lindland, ranked number one. Uh, Nate Quarry, uh, a punch away from being a champion. Chris Levin, not quite the championship, big star status. Ed Herman, 18 years in the business. I'm missing them, man. I mean, they were all over the place. Roberts never had a match. Did you guys know that about him? Did you think I meant MMA? Uh, No, I, I meant what I said. He's never had a match. He never had a wrestling match. He never had a boxing match. I don't think he had a jujitsu match. If he did, I would be surprised. He grew up in a religion where this wasn't allowed. Religion under rule, Jehovah Witness, uh, so I was told they weren't allowed to sweat. So he couldn't like go to practice. He couldn't, he couldn't go and do some of these things. He goes on to coach six world champions. It was stunning, but I was in the room with Robert. And he also wanted to be an athlete. He wanted to be a fighter, but he had a knowledge it was to the point that a group of guys had to sit him down one day and say, hey, you can get that world championship you're after, but in this capacity. And he did, he went and got six of them. So it, it's just an interesting spot. I'm proud of Tim. I tell the story because I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him and I, I even if it was this much, you know, if there's a grain of sand and a comment I made behind his back that maybe got into his ear somewhere, he's found himself in the right role. He's one win away. He's one win away. From having a record and in this sport, man, those are just hard to come by. And he should be very excited. He should be very proud of that. Now here's a question, guys. Here's a question, but it's come in 20 times, so I'm going to answer it for you. It goes like this. Do you think Nate Diaz is going to return to the UFC after Jake Paul? And if so, who will he fight? I've been asked that in so many different directions. Look, my greatest source for what Nate is going to do, I don't call him. I don't call him to get it because I don't want to know. I want to speculate with you guys. But my greatest source is still him. It's still him. And I don't mean a direct line. I go read his interviews. His social media will pop up. My wife is a Nate fan. She'll, she'll show me something that he did. So I gather and I stay in touch this way. I thought that Nate from Jump Street, Jump Street being the point where we jumped off was right after beating Tony Ferguson. Right there with Joe Rogan on the microphone, Nate told the world, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. And when I'm done, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the UFC and I'm coming back to win championships. Okay. So now we got X, Y, and Z lined up right? And we never knew what that was. Allegedly, that was even going to be some fight promotion. That was going to be go out there and get your own network and distribution and sign your own fighters. Like there was some level of this, but we were never told perfectly clear. Now we got Nate versus Jake. That's coming up. So with a victory by Nate, because it's two different questions, right? I think he returns either way. But I'm going to do this from a positive standpoint of with a victory. If Nate beats Jake, he is going to attempt to return to the UFC and he's coming back for championships. I don't know that he would qualify to walk right in to a welterweight match. When he was busy and active and under contract and everybody thought of him and the UFC, synonymously, he was not in talks to be fighting for a welterweight match at 155 pounds, which I don't think he's ever going to return to again, but it would be the same as I said above. Even when he was there, those talks weren't going on. Well, not so fast. By the time Nate gets done with Jake, and if we're assuming that comes with a victory, and Nate says, I'm coming back to the UFC for championships, you would be wrong to assume he meant a weight division championship. He would only be coming back for one championship, his championship, the championship, which eluded him because according to him, it was cut short by a doctor who never should have stopped the fight after 15 minutes that was scheduled for 25. And I'm, of course, talking about the BMF. So when people ask me what's next for Nate Diaz, I many times ask them what do they believe has changed for Nate Diaz. He thought he was the BMF. He went out there to contest it. He did not like the way that that fight was stopped. The guy that they gave it to, right? I mean, this is a game of duration. I can think of so many people, and so can you. So many people, though, when I was a freshman, you look left, look right, go, man, I'm never going to catch those guys. But By the time you become sophomore, some of them just didn't come. For whatever reason, they just didn't come out. So now you 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 have gotten in front of someone. You look left and right again, you say, well, I'm still pretty deep down in the list. But then by the time you become a senior, they... Most of them didn't even come out. One of the things that we are testing when we're testing tough guys or we're testing athleticism to any degree is simply who can stick around. It is very few athletes that can dig deep, can sacrifice, and can push through one Olympic cycle. If they do it, if they found a way to fund it, if health-wise they found a way to keep those muscles sharp, if socially they found a way to keep friends when all they got tunnel vision on some athletic event, they stink half the time because they're sweaty, because they're they're training. Oh, and by the way, got, they got no money to pitch in when we all decide we want a pizza, right? That guy can't usually stick around for two and three cycles, but the ones that do end up with medals. I'm just bringing it to you. At once upon a time, we asked ourselves, who is the BMF? And we had it down to two. We had it down to Mosval. We had it down to Nate. Of the two, one is left standing. So you tell me, if we were to go back then, have the information we have now, who really is our BMF? Tough 31, Chandler versus McGregor. Guys, it starts tomorrow night. Are you going to watch it? For me, yeah, they, they got my interest, and I—and I know that they would. I didn't know in what capacity Conor McGregor was going to be used. I mean, I mean that's a hell of a card to throw onto the table. Where are you going to do it at? And we still don't have enough information about the fight that is Conor versus Michael Chandler. We—we we don't. We're, we're told that others do. We're told that some of that information is out there, and it's going to be brought to us. Um. The weight is very interesting. When I talk about how are you going to use Connor? The weight is very interesting. I mean, I mean, you could go back on the timeline, right? And I'm starting from, from the day of you, you slid into me DMs until current. But but there was a place along that timeline where there was a discussion of Connor McGregor coming off of a loss, coming off of an injury, As a matter of fact, multiple losses in an injury, going right into a world title fight. and, and we, the audience, kind of understood it particularly when it was Leon. I mean, we, kind of, we kind of understood how you could do it. We don't think they will, but we understood how they could, and how that would work, and how that would be a really hard match for everybody involved, right? Like we kind of got that. It was at 170 pounds. But we also just understood there could be a world title fight. To go back on the timeline, you slid into me DMs. That's how I should caption this, right? I should put that in my thumbnail, you slid into me DMs. You guys will be checking this thing out, but you know what? There was talk of him going to 55 fight over a world championship. It was Oliveira. Oliveira was asking for him. I mean, that all happened along the way here. Justin Gaethje fought Oliveira. Many people thought that Gaethje was going to win. Gaethje started doing interviews prior to the fight just in case he became champion about Conor McGregor. So we got this really interesting piece that we can play somewhere. The other side of it says, an integrity to the sport... If you have a guy who is not ranked, he's not the guy that's going to fight for a title. By the way, your utility player, the one and only person in the o- entire organization that could contest for a title at two different weight classes while being unranked. So you just ha- you just run into this situation of what are we going to do with him? So once we come to the conclusion, we're not going to put him for a title. Okay. And they were never headed in that direction. By the way, that was just... For headlines and fun, well, we still got to deal with it. You still got to assume. You still got to give a good look at it. Everybody still gets to have their say. What weight are you going to fight him at and why? And that matters to me. It's only to a degree. I- I'm not going to make a mountain out of this. But to a degree, what place are you fighting them at? Why are you fighting them at all? And there are organizations where that question would never come up. you never have to answer it. Do it in any weight class you want. It's not significant. It's not meaningful. But Dana has a history of putting on significant matches. They matter. Tonight is not about tonight. Tonight is a piece of the story for the entire journey. And I learned that from Reed Harris. Reed wasn't with the UFC at the time. Reed owned WEC and he told me they said this is what we're trying to do this is where the UFC has a huge leg up it is not just roster and budget like people think Dana is a master of putting on significant fights that's a quote from Reed Harris 2008 and I never forgot it and he's right and the reason I say that is what are you going to do with Conor if you tell me that the weight class doesn't matter then why are we here and you can sell me on the idea, of, well, these are 55-pounders. We're just going to weigh them in at 182.4 pounds. I mean, you, you can sell me on that a couple of times. I, I don't get it, but you, you could. Is that for both guys? Are they, are they both 55-pounders? And if so, why? Because Carter competes at 170 all the time. So why, if we do this fight at 170, should we make believe that it's at 155? Can it be 170 for him, but it's, it's 55 for Chandler? I mean, the whole thing, it just gets weird, and we still don't know. We still don't have a weight class. My point is larger, which is simply as Connor was coming back, why? And I got that question right there that I'm posing for you from his head coach. Coach Kavanaugh is the one that put that out. And he said, I will, and this is old, this is before <coughs> Connor's comeback where he ended up taking on Dustin Poray for the second time. Coach Kavanaugh said that to the public. He said, He will not. Jump a rope or punch a bag in my gym until I talk to him and he tells me why he's coming back. So I started to dig into that a little. Is this just about ratings? Is this just about having some fun? Is this just about getting his name out there? Connor's a master of hey do this you know to, to to scratch to scratch this. But he's got something coming out with the Roadhouse, and he's always got a brand going. Now there's something with a, a restaurant which could even turn into a chip. Maybe he just wants the exposure. It's highly possible. He's a smart enough and hard enough working guy that he definitely could do something like that, and that would definitely drive him. So I started following this man. I'm watching some of these clips. I'm watching some of these outtakes. I'm watching how this fight is coming together. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm watching what a fan Conor McGregor is. I mean, the bare-knuckle boxing was just a great example of that. That he was a true and legitimate fan. I'm watching him backstage at boxing events. I'm watching interactions that Conor's having with old man Mayweather. I'm watching interviews that Errol Iwani has flown out to Dublin and sat down with Conor to do. And it's still there. He's still that angry little prick with something to prove. He is. It has not gone away. And there is something about arrogant Connor mcgregor that is compelling he told michael chandler one of the baddest men in the world who's held belts on so damn many occasions and, and nights he didn't hold them he was out there fighting for right he, he was either the best or the next best thing since he was about 24 years old Connor mcgregor got in his face and told him you will do as you are told And that is amongst the most condescending things in the history of our sport. Conor McGregor, who had all of the power, (laughs) he told him, you're gonna do as you're told. He told a world champion, you're gonna do as you're told. And us, the viewer, knew he was right. We didn't know what he was gonna do, but we knew if he wanted it done, He was in a position to make it happen. Now, Chandler didn't just become world champion because he's got some skills. He's got an ego, too. He gets Chandler up every morning at 5 a.m., makes him go on those runs, those late nights, getting those extra reps. What do you think? He's got an ego, too. He does not want to be talked to that way. He will not be spoken to that way. And you want to know what the most interesting thing of this whole fight is, guys? The most interesting thing is there's two... Who do you think wins? Chandler versus Conor McGregor. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me with that? Of course Chandler wins. And before we even get into that, how about we get into the fact that Conor's been out. He's been hurt. Nobody looks great on their first time back. He's so big right now because he's out of shape. They don't even know where to book the fight a big deal. Of course Chandler wins. Two common opponents say otherwise. Two common opponents who have earned the right to an opinion, Eddie Alvarez and Diamond Poirier, both say McGregor beats him and they both say McGregor stops him. Eddie Alvarez laughed when he was asked about this, he laughed when he was asked for his prediction and said Conor McGregor, and then went on to compose himself and break it down to a little X's and O's and ultimately came to a TKO in the second round. Poirier did the same thing. He was extremely dismissive. And he didn't say Connor needs to be back into form. He doesn't need to say Connor needs to be hungry, he needs to be sharp, and some of these words that I'm throwing at you guys. He didn't say any of that. He said if he's anything like he used to be. And I don't know what that means. Considering Poirier just stomped him out twice. Like, 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 how does Poirier still have this super high regard and respect for McGregor? What did he feel in there, right? Because you don't have to be the guy. Believe me, I've been in those situations where you do, and it looks one way for the crowd, you get your hand raised, you think, man, I don't want to see that guy again. There was something there. There was something he had. There was a speed he had. There was a power that you felt. There was something that the audience missed, and there had to have been something that the audience missed because Poirier put a guy over who he stomped out twice, and it was his nemesis. Talked about him sliding into me DMs, and he still put him over, and he didn't do that to be nice. He respected the person that asked him the question. And he answered it honestly. So both Poirier and Eddie Alvarez, who are not overly nice guys by way of McGregor, got their own history and their own paths. They just took very organically, and they seem to think Conor's going to win. For me, that's interesting. And I want to know, when you guys heard that, 100% of the common opponents, two of the greats of all time, Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier gave a prediction. They both, by stoppage, pick McGregor. Did that surprise you? Conor McGregor versus Usada, the fight that is brewing, right? This isn't happening yet, and I can't guarantee it's going to. But what I can guarantee is both sides accept. Neither one is going to back that and that's very uncommon. That's very uncommon. USADA has a tremendous amount of power. They have a tremendous amount of authority and that doesn't just come from the structure of their business. It comes from the fact that if you want to test that authority or you want to test a decision made by USADA, it could cost you your career. It it could very easily take you two to three years to resolve a matter. That if you just accept it and went along with, it's going to be six months. Now, you got principal and you don't like it. I'm not going to like it, but I can get back to work and I have a family. I mean, really, you can do that. They have a lot of power because of that. And they are not in the same shoes. If they go and make a decision, even one that turns out to be egregious, they don't don't miss a day at work. There's not anybody at USADA that's out two to three years. There's not anybody at USADA that has to go lawyer up and go through this and the stresses and read their name in the headlines and attempt to correct stories. None of it. And it gives them a real power. And I'm only sharing this with you because Conor McGregor has made it very clear that's not as the way it's going to be with him. And I find that interesting. I do find that interesting because one should not have power due to a threat or leverage that they could have over somebody, particularly when it's bigger and smaller. Do you remember when when Kamala Harris came out to explain the Russian invasion of Ukraine? She got teased. She came out and she said Russia, which is a big country in Europe, invaded Ukraine, which is a small country in Europe, and that's not good. This is what she said. They teased her. That was great. That was great. It was very simplistic, but that's what it was. It was really bad. You get these really big guys picking on these really little guys. I mean, just from a sympathy standpoint, that's not right. And that's what she said. I, I mean, I've got to tell her. Because Connor is digging in and he has let them know, you do not have the whip side here. And that was a very interesting statement for me. It was a very interesting statement by Conor McGregor. He broke it down. He did it real quickly. I mean, this was only a couple of paragraphs. I just took them with me. I don't know that Connor meant them to be as, as big as, as I interpreted them. But Connor did spell out, you guys are a $10.4 million expense. I will make the company $50 million tonight. And all of a sudden, you got a really good point. When you have an agency who isn't just using junk science and authority, they're using the fact that you must exhaust your administrative options and that could cost you the time of your career. Ask Nick Diaz, who missed five years. Ask Vandalese Silva, who never got back in. Ask Josh Barnett, who had his name, ran through the mud and was eventually cleared. I mean, not for nothing, it's it's a really tough spot. And I think we can all agree it shouldn't be that way. It should be very above board. And you should not, just through a point of leverage or to win in a headline... Go and tie somebody up, make them lawyer up, and threaten them, and use it that way. You just shouldn't do it. That's egregious. Now, the article that will ultimately be called into question, okay? And Dana White spoke on this as recently as this weekend, And he said, Conor McGregor's not back in the pool. Before we go anywhere with the Chandler fight or start to get announcements, Conor's got to get in the pool. Very respectful by Dana. Very respectful of USADA. Or or, or of Dana towards USADA. But how accurate is it? It's not been tested. People have their opinions, including myself. It's not yet been tested. And and I got to bring that because you'll meet people in life all the time. And you're probably one of them they will tell somebody what the rules are. Police officer pulls you over. He wants your ID. And you're one of those guys who's trying to make a TikTok video and tells me, I don't have to give you my ID unless I'm suspected of a crime. State code 104, my constitutional amendment, number 17. I mean, you're one of these guys, it's not really for you to say. It doesn't even matter if you pull out the paperwork and it says it right there and you think you're interpreting it right. That's not how laws work, just so you understand. Because most of you don't. Most of you do not understand and you won't even end up in that time in your life. But if you try to walk around because because you visit a law library and you're trying to cite some laws as though you're getting somewhere, you could end up looking like a fool. Give you a great example that I just had in my own life. A a great example, though, because it'll help open your eyes to many different things. I was doing a real estate deal. My side missed the date. We had a closing date of January 4th. So on January 5th, guess what they did? They put the home back on the market that we had in escrow. And on January 6th, guess what they did? They sold it to somebody else. They sold a home contractually to a new buyer that I have under contract. That is beyond illegal. So I called them, and guess what they told me? They told me to look on page one of my contract that I had a closing date of January 4th, and I did not meet it. Today's January 6th. I don't dispute that. I do not dispute that it was the fourth. I do not dispute that I had to close on the fourth. It's right there and it's written down and it is no longer the fourth. I don't dispute any of these things, but guess what? You claiming it or even me agreeing it doesn't make it so. It is now a legal issue. That's what a contract is. It's a legal issue. It doesn't get decided by us. It gets decided by a judge. And there is something in that very contract, four pages later, that talks about extenuating circumstance. And I'm going to argue extenuating circumstance as to why I didn't meet the date on the 4th. And by the way, I'm going to put a Liz Penance on your property and you're not going to sell it to anybody and you don't even know what a Liz Penance is. But you tried to get cute with me and you tried to read a contract and then you tried to interpret it. You don't have the right. That's why I bring this to you is you're going to get people from whose side they're going to come on, they're going to tell you what the rule is. Or are you going to get Conor McGregor to come on? He's going to tell you what the rule is. That's not how it works. You can read words the same as I can. We don't know until it gets tested. You have to understand that, though. You have to absolutely understand. Because I'll have people look down and go, well, I mean, it says it it right here. It says right there. Do you know what that means? And no, you don't until that gets debated. Okay, I, I feel like I begrudge this enough to let you know That just because you know the words or where you can find some rule doesn't mean you know the application of the rule. And if there's not a precedence, which means this has already been ruled on by a judge or a court somewhere, you can't even begin. You can tell me the intent. You can tell me what you would like it to mean. You can tell me what you plan to argue should we get to this point. I can tell you what I plan to argue. And then we as reasonable people can see whose argument is more likely to be held up. And then then we can kind of use that to start working things out. But this, and I got to tell you, I mean, in all fairness, in, in all fairness, USADA is very good. They are. And they have some very fine people. And... They operate with some of the highest members of the United States Senate. John McCain, rest his soul, by example. Right? A couple of votes away from being the most powerful man in the world. He, he, that was directly who who worked with us. They have some very powerful things. They got beat. It's as simple as that. They got beat. When, when when the lawyers at the UFC did the deal, a lot of the language that the lawyers put, they they were just on another level. They were better than Usada. They were smarter than Usada. They had a vision of what could come up and how they would want that. Better than Usada, and they were able to sit with it. And just so you know, these things are done. You're a lawyer, and I'm a lawyer. We come sit down. I'm go. Oh, hey, let's put this verbiage in. And this will be very important in case we run into that. I create a scenario that is not the one that I'm actually worried about. I get you go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you put it in now. The verbiage that I just got you to put in. All right, do you understand this? For the scenario and the intent that I tell you, not at all what I was actually concerned with, which means eight years down the road, when we run into this, I already know the language is there because I'm the one that sat there and got you to put it in. But I mean, this is the way that the game is played. It's the way the game is played. I was 24 years old and I was taken to court by the attorney general seven times. I had no money and I had just lost my father. I mean, just by exam, you know, you get the jam, you go to dad. I was in a different spot. I was in a tough spot. The attorney general has an endless budget, an endless time. They don't ever lose. They don't lose because they can't lose. You can only take them on for so long. I beat them all seven times. Seven for seven. I fought them and I won. And they, to this day, do not know what actually happened there. They, to this day, don't know 12 months prior to them suing me in the first place, I was front and center with a congressman. And I had written into the bill, no holds barred. This had to do with me putting on mixed martial arts events. They wrote it into the bill, passed by the House, passed by the Senate, and signed by the governor with me in his presence. But he wrote the words in there, no holds barred. And that was the trap that we laid from day one. Because if you bar one hold, you take yourself out of that definition. And they passed it into law. And I'm only bringing this to you because words matter. Which is why you cannot look at a contract, think that you read it, sit around three, four, five, six of your buddies and think you know what it meant. It doesn't work that way. Most people will wilt conor mcgregor has made it clear he will not and i don't know who's right but nobody does and we won't until it gets this let me read to you what the verbiage said just so you understand this there's no way Usada. did it i gotta tell you there's no way Usada did this this came this came by guys that were just better at this just I, i don't know it wasn't i mean it doesn't say who wrote it but this is my prediction that this did not come from usada this is something that usada accepted An athlete who gives notice of retirement to UFC, their initials, they they used (laughs) it, they can't, okay. All right, uh, to UFC, which I believe is gonna stand for Ultimate Fighting Championships, though it does not explicitly say, has otherwise ceased to have a contractual relationship with again, UFC, which I assume, which is always a problem, to stand for Ultimate Fighting Championships, due to an athlete initiated inactivity, both the word athlete and inactivity capitalized, which would lead you to not think that it was a descriptive term, it would be a title to something. Only persons, places, and things do you capitalize as well as the first word to a sentence, this is none, but it is capitalized, which would lead you to believe They're not using descriptive words. This is a thing. It's a thing. Bad guy, Inc. You know, I don't know why the bad and the guy are capitalized. Because that's a thing. That's an entity. It's now a name. It's very interesting, though. In this contract, right next to UFC, which we don't know what that stands for in the contract. Right next to that, they have put athlete-initiated inactivity. But they capitalized them. Which means athlete in an activity may not mean athlete a sportsman an activity. Oh, I'm busy. It may not. It's capital. It means it's a person, place, or a thing. If somebody chose to argue I'm just sharing with you. A lot of problems here. And I haven't even got to the first period. Okay. Blah, 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 competed in bouts, given the UFC, competed and made himself available for testing for a period of six months before returning to competition. UFC, which I believe to mean Ultimate Fighting Championship, may grant an exemption. They may grant an exemption. So now the body that's being tested and overseen by the body has the authority Trump everybody, according to this, they may grant an exception to the six-month written notice rule in exceptional circumstances or where the strict application of that rule would be manifestly, (laughs) come on, sorry, would be manifestly unfair to an athlete, again, capitalized. Huh. Do you not know what that, do you, do you not understand? I feel like we're on different wavelengths here. Do you understand if you capitalize it? It's now not athletes. not what you guys think. doesn't have to be. That could be a company. That could be a company that's set up. That could be an LLC. That could be an incorporated. It's capitalized. Not only could it be, it should be. It should be something that is totally different than what the word athlete that we know to mean is, because they're capitalizing it, which means they made it a person, place, or a thing, which means it's quite possibly a legal entity. It's a huge mistake. Truly, it's a huge mistake. Provided that either instance, the athlete, again, capitalized, this is stunning, Provides a minimum of two negative samples, capitalized. That's got to be a typo, right? Now, see, now I'm not thinking this is Usad. This has got to be the bloody elbow people. Okay, wait, samples for return to competition. But you guys understand what this is saying? It is saying, and this is really important that you have this. It's really, really important that you have this, and it'd be very easy for somebody to explain to Usad and get Usad, Usada to acquiesce. It would, it, it because we see this all the time. You guys just don't know it. You don't see it with stars like Conor McGregor. You don't see it with your main event, guys. We haven't seen it yet by somebody who was hurt and injured and and healed themselves and and, and had rumors. We haven't seen it with them yet, but you see this all the time. You see this rule enacted all the time, which is where Conor comes out and goes, what are you talking about? I can't have one. Why could I not have one? Why would you discriminate against me? You do this all the time. This isn't a unique rule. You guys probably think it is. The way I read it to you and the way it's just now getting posted, you probably think this hasn't been tested yet or that this is some verbiage in there. You'd be wrong. This gets tested all the time. And it goes the way that it was interpreted, which is the UFC can give an exception. Let me just give you an example. You're fighting in Chicago. Got your show in Chicago. Tuesday's the travel day. That's just built in with the industry. Search your media on Wednesday. Get your poster signed. X is going to be Thursday. Again, usually some press conference, and whatnot. Weigh-ins are going to be Friday. I'm just sharing with you, right? Like the weakest kind of setup. So let's say you have a travel day, and somebody pulled out. Somebody can get on the airplane for whatever reason. So now you're going to just grab a local from Chicago, and it's just a tremendous opportunity to break into the bigs. And we all know that. But you, you, you got to grab somebody quick. Grab this guy. He's got a reputation. He can make the weight class. He has the courage to do it. Hey, congratulations, kid. You're now in the U.C. But he hasn't got to go through the pool. He may not even have time to do his paperwork. We're told that Conor McGregor, who has a team, an entire legal team around, he doesn't have his paperwork done. So we're led to believe that it's pretty hard to do. I'm just sharing with you some local yokel from Chicago that gets called last minute. He's got to get over to the arena. And he's got to cut 15 pounds before he gets in there with a trained athlete that he wasn't prepared for. I mean, right, he doesn't even have time to do his paperwork. So all the time, we will see that rule get enacted. And we will say that that is manifesting for the athlete, which we can capitalize or not, and I still don't think you understand why that's a big deal. An extenuating circumstance, sure it was. There's a once in a lifetime opportunity for that guy. And I'll tell you right now, as the decision maker giving it to him, it's a once in a lifetime, I'm not coming back. I'm in this town, he's in this town, I need him and there's the cage. Can we make these things happen or should we part ways? And of course, Usada allows that young man to compete. Of course, they do. So Conor McGregor is talking about why are you going to use it against me? If it once in a lifetime opportunity, I got one fight left. I'm going to do Michael Chandler. I got an entire TV show. I promised. I've got a media tour. I'm right here. Whether I've done the paperwork or not, you've never asked me for a test. And that is going to come, and that's going to be won by Conor. Conor has been in the presence of Usada, and they didn't ask him for a test. And they will come out and falsely tell you, we, did, we couldn't ask you for a test, you weren't in the pool. That is absolutely not true, and USADA knows that's not true. They could walk up to him right now and ask him for a test. If he declined, there would then be a question of, do they have authority to punish him for refusal, which is also within the contract. That is very unlikely to hold up for them, but they absolutely could ask him for the test, and they have many people. And they've gotten the samples and they've gotten the tests of many people. So this is not Chael's opinion. I could go through the stories for you. And if Connor wanted to bring that up to an arbitrator, say, I have been with USA. I didn't have my paperwork done. They knew I didn't have my paperwork done. I had a fight I was training for. If I'm right here, God sakes, I've never failed a test. I've never turned down a test. They're the ones that conduct the test. Why have they not come and tested me? that's going to hold up. And USADA is going to need to answer that. They really will. They'll have to answer, if, if you want his safe, you knew he was trying to fight, you have this information. You've got your own verbiage that a guy can notify someone that he's retired and therefore he is. Your own verbiage says he can notify by text message. He can send a text to a person in authority, which in this case is Dana White, and tell him he's unretired and therefore legally he is. He can, he can do these things. But you're not going to accept that he's in Nevada, that he's at a training camp, that he's doing a very popular show known as The Ultimate Fighter with a very popular organization known as ESPN. You're not going to accept those things. You'll accept a text message in the dark of night, but you won't accept an announcement on ESPN. You're there. He's here. You never walked up and tested him. You never asked him for a sample, but you have with all these other athletes. And now Connor is saying, I would like to defer to the exceptional clause. And it says that they would need two tests. That's what it says. Now, that's, that's an interesting one. It's an interesting one for me because every test is two tests. And so that's, again, just something that you could debate. Every single time you see USADA, two tests are done. One through blood and one through urine. And it gets registered as two tests, not as one test, one of blood and one urine. It gets registered as two tests. So I just bring that to you because it says you've got to have two tests. And so then that becomes a game. Hey, USADA, go test them. And then, by the way, come back the very next day and test them again. Well, okay, is that four tests? I don't know if it's four tests. It might be two tests. So we don't know. We just want to make sure we're right. Go and do it. What if we don't? What if we don't? It looks like he's going to try to get around this by this clause. But one thing that this clause says is I got to have two tests. So what if we just don't test him? What if we're mad and we want to be childish about it and we don't go test him? We know that the two test rule does not always get applied. Because many times guys are brought in on short notice. And they just simply didn't have time to do the tests. We have a Brock Lesnar situation at UFC 200 where they took the test, but they didn't have the results back. And Mark Hunt to this day is still suing over this. It gets very confusing. But I will tell you right now, Usad is not going to hold up if they did not ask Connor for a test. If they are going to argue that you will accept a retirement or a return by a text message but you will not accept an announcement on ESPN. That's not going to work. That is not going to work. Vandale Silva, by example, was never in the USADA pool in his life. Vandale Silva has never entered the USADA pool. Vandale Silva served a four-year suspension. This is a million-dollar guy. Vandelay is a million dollars a night every time he walks out there. Three times a year he's going to get. They banned him for four. They took $12 million from him. Because when they asked him for a test, he told them no. He said, I'm not with you guys. I don't know you a test. I'm, I'm not part of your organization. That sounds right. That sounds reasonable. It's not what the courts decided. Gilbert Melendez could not have been more innocent. I've never talked to you guys about Gilbert publicly. Never. He could not have been more innocent he was working with a dart. He knew he was going to have to take some. He retired from the sport and left the pool. And the next week they came and tested him. <laughs> and he was a nice guy because, yeah, I'll give you the test. Hey, by the way, I I, I I left the pool because of this. So when they came back to arbitration, Gilbert said, but I wasn't with you guys. And they ruled, you're right. We agree with you. But. A sample was still taken, and this was still found, and we we just can't have that information and not operate on and that's, it, and that is now precedence. I just offer you that. Shale Sonnen served a two-year suspension with USADA. I was never with him. I actually, that isn't true. Later in my life, I, I, I did go with him, and prior in my life for the U.S. national team, so I, I wouldn't fall in the same category as Mandalay Civil, but I wasn't with them at the time. But it was much like Gilbert. They came to me, they asked me for a test, and I gave them one. Now, many people would tell me the other option, which is I could have told them no. Well, that's what Vandalay did. I told them yes and was dirty. I did two years. Vandalay has never failed a drug test, contrary to what you might read on the internet. Vandalay Silva has never failed a drug test. He served four years. I failed for a plethora of sub. It wasn't one sub, I had multiple substances. He didn't fail, he got double. And we weren't with them. But this is a precedence. And this is set. And they could have walked up to him. And if they think they're just going to get around it by, by acting like, hey, silly me, and he didn't have his paperwork in. They could play the dirtiest game that they do play. Which is, for Connor to plead a case anywhere similar to what it just took me 24 minutes to do. That would take Connor years, quite literally. Two or three years. It would cost him his career. He may not even come back through. I mean, but this is the game. This is the game. We let you know this game of chicken, we're going to play to the end. And on a local yokel, you'll get him every time. He will have no backing. He won't have the media. He won't have a fan base. He won't have, he will have nothing. He doesn't have the money, the legal team. He will have nothing. He won't have the promotion. He will be by himself and he will lose. He will lose. Won't matter if he was right on the merits or not. He will lose to Usada. But this is different. Now you have a guy that's got the backing. He's got the team in place. He will have the promotion itself in his corner. It's a very different situation. Francis Sangano wants to be a martyr over some kind of contract that made him a multimillionaire. I don't fully get that thing. You want to hear about a martyr? You want to hear about a guy that could actually do good that could actually change the way things are done and do good for all those boys that sat and had their careers changed just on a threat of leverage by an agency that had endless funding. Conor McGregor's your guy. I hope like hell that this fight comes. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I do hope that you enjoy, and I hope that you have a wonderful Memorial Day. I know I certainly enjoyed the time that I spent with my family. I showed up to the office, I did that for you guys, and I'm gonna keep showing up. I'll be back on Friday. Till then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.